This podcast is not suitable for work. If you're under the age of 18, kindly and with all due respect, get the fuck out. I mean it. Go on. Bye-bye. Mm-mm. See you later. This isn't for you. Nope. Mm-mm. America has a strange relationship with sex. We're obsessed with it, but it terrifies us. We censor it because it's constantly being shoved down our throats. But our dirty little secret is we like things shoved down our throats, especially when we're in bondage or we're wearing leather or being slapped around a little bit. And, oh, God. <clears throat> I'm Sunny Megatron. Join Ken Melvoinberg and I as we explore, dissect, and demystify American sex. Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, American Sex, with Ken Melvoin Berg and Sonny Megatron. Hey Ken, have you heard of Peep Show Toys? Of course I have. They're an independent ethical sex toy retailer committed to only carrying non-toxic and non-porous pleasure products. Peep Show Toys carries quite a few indie sex toy brands like The Butter, Split Peaches, and Funkit Toys. You know, companies that are similarly committed to offering body-safe quality products. Yeah, and they're committed to providing top-notch sex education, too. Their blog at PeepShowToys.com focuses on topics ranging from BDSM to threesomes written by popular sex educators. Oh, and listeners, keep an eye out for great things popping up here from Peep Show Toys. They're sponsoring one of our sex toy giveaways this month and pleasure product education live streams like the one I did on Facebook last week. And you know what? We love Peep Show Toys so much, and they love us so much, and we both love you so much that you can get 10% off your order at peepshowtoys.com when you use the code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y, at checkout. Sweet. Hey, everyone. I'm Ken Melvoinberg. And this is Sunny Megatron. And welcome to episode 30 fucking six of American Sex Podcast. Can you believe it's episode 30 fucking six? No, I cannot fucking believe that it's episode 30 fucking six. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah. Should I put that in the actual like episode three fucking six? six. Yes, you should. I think we should do that. Well, we've been saying fucking fucking a lot and we're even going to say it throughout this episode because some shit's going down and out. And out? Shit's going out? Oh, that's the special story that only our Patreon yeah, no. subscribers can get. Yes, only our Patreon subscribers can hear that story. But we'll tell you more about that in a little bit. But some in a butt. Sh- in a, uh, but some shit, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I'm trying to be fucking serious now. Oh, my God. Some shit is going down with our government. Ken, what's going down with our government? So you may have heard about the SESTA and FOSTA bills that were passed during the last couple of weeks. Their aim is to stop sex trafficking, which is an awesome goal. Sex trafficking, bad. Now, these bills go after online entities that are enabling sex trafficking. Again, okay, that sounds awesome on the surface, right? Well, not really. The problem is these pieces of legislation were written so broadly that they will affect every single one of us that uses the Internet to look at anything sex-related. That includes porn, sex ed, like our website, sex coaches and sex therapists that use Skype for sessions, even long-distance lovers that use Skype for fun. It will even affect you if you take a naughty pic to consensually give to someone and your Google Picture Backup saves it to a confidential folder in your Google Drive. 
The effects of FOSTA and SESTA go way beyond affecting consensual and legal sex workers like cam girls, phone sex operators, pro doms, etc. These laws aren't supposed to go into effect until January 1st of 2019, but they're retroactive, meaning online platforms are taking action right now. If you've noticed, you've been getting lots of terms of service updates right in your email from everyone from Venmo to Google to MailChimp over the last week or so, and that's no coincidence. There's a website called survivorsagainstsesta.org, and they have one of the most up-to-date lists of web platforms affected. I'll give you a general rundown. So due to SESTA FOSTA, over the last couple of weeks, the following has occurred. Craigslist has taken down all of their personals, even the innocent, heartwarming misconnection section. People's Google Drives have been disabled because they've had obscene material on it. Reddit closed a number of their subreddits, including Escort, Sugar Daddy. They also removed or severely restricted other subreddits like guns, cannabis, craft beers, and herbal supplements like Kratom. They've disallowed allowed using obscene language on Xbox and Skype, and they say they can listen in on your private conversations to check for this. Amazon.com stripped erotica books of their rank and hid them in searches. FetLife.com thought they'd have to close, but now they're going to remain open, but they're going to severely restrict the site. Sites like TouchedByVenus.com, MyScarletBook, ProvidingSupport.com, CityVibeNightShift, all shut down. The Erotic Review, YourDominatrix.com, all shut down their U.S. advertising, and the list goes on. Wix and WordPress, they've also restricted their content. It's anticipated there may be more reaching as far mainstream as impacting dating sites like OkCupid, Tinder, and also other web hosting services like GoDaddy. We just learned that the furry dating website Pounce.org closed as well. That fucking sucks. And I didn't even know about it. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye, Pounce.com. Yeah. We didn't know you soon enough. So we're not sure at this point if and how SESTA and FOSTA will impact podcasting. Yeah. Your beloved American sex podcast may even be deemed obscene by the services that host our audio files. The terrible thing about this is that like anytime something awful happens these days, many folks immediately want to blame the Republican administration that's in charge of the executive branch. Unfortunately, you can't do that here because this was started with bilateral support from both houses. In fact, the impotence of the bill actually came from Democrats, uh, Swanee Hunt and uh, Cook County Sheriff, the uh, the county in which we live, Tom Dart, who opened up the school for Johns, were amongst those who were guiding the lobbyists that really provided the funding and the effort to create this bill. And then very sloppy writers of law that were primarily Republicans wrote the law and they did it in a very bad way. In fact, in the Senate, the bill was like passed 97 to 2. So listeners, in other words, this is fucked. And the constitutionality of this whole thing is really debatable. It's especially impacting consensual and legal sex workers. Plus, Anyone into alternative sexuality or relationships, the kinksters, the furries, the poly folks, the swingers, those in the LGBTQ community, etc. We spend the early part of our conversation with this week's guest, Kitty Stryker, talking more about FOSTA and SESTA and dissecting it. So please be sure to listen up for that. It's super important. Now, before the whole world goes to complete shit, we're going to give away as many sex toys as we can while we still can. Woo-hoo! 
Now, this means that we have not only one but two sex toy giveaways for this month. The first is sponsored by Castle Megastore. We've teamed up with Castle to give away a toy that has just hit the shelves, the Jimmy Jane Love Pod Halo, valued at 150 American dollars. You can enter to win at SunnyMegatron.com slash Halo, that's H-A-L-O. And don't forget, friends of ours are friends of Castle Megastore. When you use the code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, at checkout, you'll get 20% off most selected items. We are also giving away a womanizer, a Sona, or a Satisfier. Your choice, peepshowtoys.com, set me up with all three. They had me compare and contrast them on your behalf. I did a Facebook live stream on those three, plus a couple honorable mentions last week. Check the show notes for the links to that live stream. And we also kicked off this month's peepshowtoys.com giveaway. The giveaway runs all month at sunnymegatron.com slash peepshowgiveaway. Two of the entry questions ask you for a secret word. The first secret word you can get right here. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Because it's not going to be in the show notes. You got to listen for this one. Secret word number one is schnozberries or actually snozberries no schna snozberries you added added a sh you know i'm a little i'm a little hungarian german i don't know if that's like but s-n-o-z-b-e-r-r-i-e-s the second secret word i'll tell you in my facebook live and again the link to that will be in our show notes at sunnymegatron.com and americansexpodcast.com and don't forget you can also get 10 percent off your peepshowtoys.com order when you use the code sunny s-u-n-n-y at checkout hey you've got sex questions don't you come on i know there's something you really want advice on leave us a voicemail at 773 muff toy and leave us your question. If you're selected, we'll play your voicemail on air and give you our expert advice. Want to send an email instead? You can reach us at americansexpodcast at gmail.com. I got to tell you, Ken, I am so excited. We got the, the number 773 Muff Toy. 773 M-U-F-F-T-O-Y. Oh my God, that warms my heart. And my cunt? Can I say cunt? Cunt! I'm saying cunt. All right. Say cunt while you can. Yes. <laughs> It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the newest members of our Patreon family. We're going to be like, uh, yeah, no, Ken. Singing was awful. Seriously, Ken, I'm trying to be like Mr. Rogers. You failed. I'm Ms. Megatron. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm sure our newest members would appreciate my singing. Sam, Maeve. Bebe and Roy, you all joined our Patreon family this week. Not thank only, you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. Not only do you get access to all the secret stuff in our feed, you get to hear this week's guest, Kitty Stryker, tell a really fun bonus story about what horrible thing happens when you combine loft beds with fisting. Ken and my blooper reel, you also get to hear that and a bunch of other cool stuff. And hey, you. You there listening? You feel left out right now. You're having some major FOMO, right? Well, you can be a part of our Patreon family too, and I'll sing to you. Just go to patreon.com slash American Sex to join the fun. And you know what I'm feeling, Ken? What are you feeling, Ken? I am feeling Ken. I feel like, ooh, balls. No, I'm not feeling Ken, but I'm feeling like it's surprise time again because it's been a while. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to pick at least three cool adult prizes out of our prize closet and send them to three random patreon family members so and we've done this before and we give out good stuff last time we did this we gave out a stronic b by fun factory a silicone anal training kit and a bondage kit 
So yeah, three three members. Hey, you know what? What? If I'll tell you, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. If we get forty Patreon members by May first, I'll kick in not one but two more surprise gifts from my super secret squirrel stash upstairs. Your super secret squirrel mustache. <laughs> so to recap. Anyone that is a member of our Patreon family now or joins up until May 1st, 2018, you may just get a surprise in the mail. And if we grow by at least six people, which would bring us up to 40 by May 1st, I'll kick in a couple more gifts to bring the total to five. So visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash American sex. And not everyone can contribute to our Patreon page, and that's totally fine. We appreciate your support whatever way you can give it. Some of the things we love is if you make sure you're subscribed to American Sex Podcast on your favorite podcast player and leave us a star rating on iTunes. Oh, and also tell your friends to tune in, too. Sonny and I are part of the Explore More Summit again this year. This free online summit lasts for 10 days. You'll hear experts on sexuality, body image, communication, emotional literacy, and more. Sonny and I are talking about incorporating play and humor in your sex and BDSM. The Explore More Summit goes from April 23 to May 3rd, and it is absolutely free. Go to bit.ly slash Sunny Explore More to sign up. The summit's put on by our episode 15 guest, Dawn Sarah. She's from the very popular podcast, Sex Gets Real. This is our third year involved with the summit, and it's an amazing resource. We love it so much. Perhaps it will even be life-changing for some of you. I highly recommend signing up. And again, the address is bit.ly slash Sunny Explore More. And of course, that address will also be in our show notes. This week's guest is Kitty Stryker. She is a feminist writer, anarchist activist, juggalo anthropologist, and authority on developing a consent culture in alternative communities. She is the founder of ConsentCulture.com, a website that ran for six years as a hub for LGBT kink poly folks looking for a sex-critical approach to relationships. The site was relaunched in 2017 to support her book, Ask, Building Consent Culture, an anthology through Thorn Tree Press, released in 2017. Kitty tours internationally speaking at universities and conferences about feminism, sex work, body positivity, queer politics, and more. She lives in Oakland, California with her two cats, Foucault and Marquis. I really enjoyed our conversation with Kitty. Dissecting Sesta and Fosta is really important, as is her take on consent and how to handle people that violate it. And yeah, I know. I got to say, after talking to Kitty, I am growing a soft, squishy, fagoy, red pop spot in my heart for Juggalos. So whoop, whoop. Right? Is that what they say? Whoop, whoop, whoop? Yes, whoop, okay. whoop. Whoop, whoop. More, more enthusiastically. Whoop, whoop. Here's Kitty Stryker. <laughs> On the line, we've got Kitty Stryker, and there is so much we have to talk about. We have been meaning to connect, and like life got in the way. And then, as life got in the way, some shit happens with yeah, our government true. and our lives <laughs> that made yeah. us go, We gotta get on the phone right now. So, Kitty. Uh, what's on all of our minds right now are these bills, FOSTA and SESTA. And I know you've been super vocal about how they're impacting lots of people. So can you tell us like briefly what this bill is and your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So FOSTA and SESTA are both, uh, it's the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, which is FOSTA, and the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, which is SESTA. Supposedly, there are bills that are going to 
prevent sex trafficking or really punish online platforms for enabling sex trafficking, which is something that they haven't been held responsible for before, in part because it's highly impractical to do that. But on the surface, it's I mean, when you first hear about it, you're like sex trafficking bad. Like I can get down with it. Yeah, it's bad. But why is this not a good idea? Or why won't this stop sex trafficking and hurt more people Then it'll help? What this adapts or what it changes is the Communications Decency Act, particularly uh, 230, Section 230, which used to protect platforms from being held accountable for the um, posts or uh, content of their users. Since this changes that and does hold the platforms accountable, it means that the platforms are panicking and scrambling to ban anything that they think might get them on the wrong side of this law, which unfortunately tends to mean silencing consensual sex workers, uh, silencing activists who are working with sex workers, and in some cases, I think even people who are working to fight human trafficking. So it's like totally working to the opposite of what the supposed intention is. But I got to say, it's really important to point out these bills came about so the government could sue Backpage very specifically. Really? Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, and, yes. And I had some questions for you, because when I was researching this, what I was surprised to find out about this is the origin of the lobby that actually started the bills. Now, I'm not talking about the Republican legislators that actually wrote the the terrible language in this, like, kill the messenger bill. But it was more than the fact that it was primarily sponsored by Democrats originally. And it was uh, Swanee Hunt in particular, uh, who's a, a billionaire oil fund heiress who started with, I'm sure, good intentions. But then Amy Schumer jumped on board with what she was doing. Um, yep. Ashton Cush, uh, Ashton Kusher, uh, and Cook County Sheriff, where we live right now in oh, Chicago. Yeah, Tom Dart. Tom yeah. Dart, who is notoriously anti-sex worker, and by the way, takes sex workers out on adventures and stuff, going to ballparks and stuff like that to try and get them on board with his idea, which is how he came up with the idea for John School, uh, w- oh, which God. they are, th- which they are starting to adapt and bring into this whole Wait, thing. Wait, what's John School? Explain that for the listeners. Okay, so John School, or do you know what it is? I don't want to step on. Kitty Stills, if she. Oh, like, yeah, no, I, I, I know what it is. So, John Schools are basically um, if you're a client who gets caught purchasing sex work, they send you to a John School and basically lecture and shame you. Uh, I forget how long it goes on, but you know, it's kind of it's like traffic school, but with more shame. Wow. Okay. So if you're, if you're seeing, let's say, you know, you're in trouble for seeing someone who humiliates you, that might be exactly what you want to. I mean, <laughs> Especially if you like uniforms. Exactly. Exactly. Like, wait a minute. Is this another scene? Oh, God. (laughs) So would you agree that um, FOSTA-SESTA is kind of akin to holding the U.S. Postal Service accountable for whatever somebody happens to write in a letter? Um, Potentially. And I think it would be equally as ridiculous for that. I mean, it would be more holding them accountable for example, for something written on a postcard, because it is visible, right? It's not like a lot of these websites aren't breaking into locked posts. Well, actually, I say that, but Facebook has been 
starting to shut people down for things that they talk about in their private messages. Right. And I've also been (laughs) hearing that like people's Google drives have been in Skype and Xbox and Nintendo. All of those accounts have been shut down because of this bill. Can you elaborate as to why they would be outreaching for those looking for sex traffickers? I will say I haven't I haven't actually heard anybody getting their Skype account deleted yet. Um, I know that people are afraid of that happening, and that's because Microsoft changed their um, TOS to ban offensive language and nudity, and that covers not just Xbox Live, which is what they're focusing on, but also um, potentially Outlook and and Skype. And the reason why I think they're doing this and outreaching to all of these different things that you wouldn't initially think of as a trafficking environment is that any space that consensual sex work can happen potentially can happen under duress, right? So they're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater here in the hope that if they just ban everything, then it won't happen, mm-hmm. which has never worked. I mean, it's historically failed every single time. And, you know, as I've been observing people online Hearing this news, hearing about FOSTA, SESTA, and especially people who aren't in, uh, who aren't sex workers or aren't in adjacent communities, at first were kind of like, whatever. And then they started realizing anyone whose sex life somehow intersects with the internet, which today is almost everybody, can be affected by this and now people are starting to freak out like oh shit you're gonna take away my okay cupid or oh shit i can't you know dirty skype with my girlfriend when i'm out of town kind of thing so are you seeing kind of the regular everyday people taking a second look at this and how do you think this could affect people that aren't in sex worker or sex worker adjacent communities well i mean craigslist was the first one to go right and i think that when craigslist dropped all of their personals, uh, which I think actually, because the way that they did it was a little passive aggressive. And I think it was a really smart move for them in terms of sex worker solidarity. Right. They were like, well, you know what? Fuck it. None of you get this then. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I kind of got that. Yeah, I got that vibe. Like it's my hey, ball and I'm going home. Well, no more <laughs> like like it was. um Almost like an act of protest or um, yes, activism. Be, it's my ball. I'm going home. Oh, yeah. okay. That's, that's a protest. Oh, I thought you meant just more like, fuck all you people. Not like there's a purpose behind it. Yeah, it I mean, yeah. It was the wording. The wording to me seemed very purposeful. And I mean, and the fact is sex workers have been talking about how SESTA and FOSTA are going to be dangerous for everyone for months. And no one listened and no one cared. I mean, there weren't pieces like... You know, in Teen Vogue, like I was really excited to get to write for them, but I was like, Teen Vogue didn't give a fuck about this. Like, two really? Ago. Yeah. So, like, I think that it's now that it's like, oh, wait, this is going to disproportionately affect queer people. Oh, wait, you know, interracial marriages are becoming a like a thing that people are panicking about again for some godforsaken reason. Really? Yeah. Like there, there was a, a study that showed that. The, there's an increase in people thinking that uh, interracial marriages are immoral. Oh, my God. And I was thinking about this and thinking about how white supremacy has become like more and more of a concern in our government, more and more obviously. And I was like, 
You know, interracial relationships have also been considered deviant, and I put that in quotations. I think this is going to hit way more people than anyone realizes. And incidentally, this is exactly what happened in Berlin Mm -hmm. when the Nazis were rising to power. They started cleaning up the streets and getting rid of the sex workers, and then they started getting rid of the queer people, and then they started getting rid of anybody they consider deviant. And so it's like... I know that it's uh, it's used too often to be like, well, <laughs> Nazi Germany, though. But I really think that it's dangerous for us not to see the parallels very clearly. The censorship, who gets to speak and who doesn't, mm-hmm. the, the, the disparate ways that people are being censored. If we don't take this stuff seriously now, by the time we do, it's going to be too late. Yeah. So what do you think, just personally, what's your gut feel on, hey, the Supreme Court could still overrule this? Do you do you honestly think that's going to happen? Or do you honestly think we're just fucked and going down a long, dark road? Well, I think with SESTA-FOSTA, it's very difficult. No one wants to be seen overturning it. It's very cleverly done. No one wants to be on the side of sex trafficking. Right. So if and it had fight, huge, didn't it have like nine? What was it? it was ninety-seven, 97 to, to two. two. Like yeah. when, like right now, I think Rand Paul is our saving grace. I know. Right? <laughs> what world do we live in? What world do we live in? Wow. It's because it's Bowie so and Prince died. It's because Bowie and Prince died, and now we're in an alternate universe. <laughs> yeah. And it like, and then Trump became president, and then bam, the worst <laughs> timeline. God. It is, and now we're living a Handmaid's Tale. Like that's oh, what yeah. that's what happened, and it's it's getting more and more like that. It's so awful. Oh my goodness. Um. So we're going to take a quick break, but I find it really interesting at the, at the crux of FOSTA SESTA is one thing that a lot of people overlook is like, yes, trafficking bad, coerced sex work bad, but consensual sex work is not the same thing. And the failure to differentiate between something that's consensual and something that's not consensual in my opinion, is a lot of what led us down this road. So when we get back, we're going to talk about how consent is a a part of this and how it weaves into everything we do. And also your new book about consent culture. So we'll be right back. Hey, did you know American Sex Podcast has a Patreon page? Becoming a Patreon member is a great way to show your support for this podcast. It works kind of like, I don't know, funding for National Public Radio or how PBS works. If you appreciate our work and the fact that we provide it to the world free of charge, then you can help support it. And as a member of our Patreon family, you'll be eligible for nifty, cool rewards like bonus episodes, surprises in the mail, and more. Oh, and you'll get all of our episodes early, bonus stories from guests, and access to our private Patreon feed. So you thinking about it? You want to know more? Check out all the details at patreon.com slash americansex. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash American sex. 
Castle Megastore. Once you see their sex toys, you'll want more. I have no idea if Castle Megastore actually has a theme song, but I really dig Castle Megastore. So that's my gift to you, Castle, your very own theme song. And you listeners get a gift too. If you go to CastleMegastore.com and use discount code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, when you check out, you will receive 20% off your order. That's amazing. Castle Mega store. When you get your sex toys, you'll be on the floor because you'll be using them so much and they'll be so awesome and you'll save so much money. You'll get more than one and then you'll climax for a really long time and you'll just be passed out and you'll be like, oh my God, give me water. Those are the best orgasm ever. We're back with Kitty Stryker talking about all things really that boil down to consent, which is the perfect timing because you just wrote a book, right, Kitty? I did. Um, I well, I edited an anthology. To mm-hmm. be fair, okay. Uh, credit credit due to the people who actually wrote the stuff in the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's a uh, it's an anthology about consent culture called "Ask: Building Consent Culture." And what I tried to do is signal boost a lot of marginalized people who don't usually get to write about consent. And also expand the conversation away from just the bedroom. Talk about consent as it pertains to the prison industrial complex or education or um, hospitals. And you, you're the person that really put the phrase consent culture on the map, so to speak. So what? Apparently. It, yeah. I know that. I, I actually had to like do some research because I was like, wait, I know I didn't come up with this term. But was I the person that's the reason why this is a thing everywhere? And I think it's me and Cliff Provocracy. Uh-huh. We both talked about it around the same time. And like, we're talking very openly about it. And I think it just spread from there. So explain to me, what is consent culture? If you were to define the term. So for me, consent culture is imagining what it would be like if we based our culture on consent, clear consent as opposed to entitlement. And I feel like the way that we run our culture now is really based on entitlement and pushing people's limitations. A lot of our social norms are around pushing people past where they're comfortable. Uh, The example I give is like when you're out having drinks with friends and you're like, I'm tired, I should go home. And they say, oh, no, stay, stay for another drink. That's an example of how the social norm is to say that, but you're actually kind of, violating someone's consent you're like pushing right. their boundaries it reminds and- me of like the um the after school specials like peer pressure is bad right but we <laughs> see it everywhere don't we right and it's actually seen as an important aspect to our interactions with each other like if you're take everything that someone says at face value sometimes people get mad <laughs> so I think that um, we have a really complicated relationship to consent and a certainly complicated relationship to openly talking about what our needs are. So, all right. A lot of how we deal with each other, whether it's, you know, in business, in the office or with our family members or whatever, a lot of our communication is based on persuasion manipulation and i'm not saying like horrible like i'm an abuser manipulation but like you said like oh come on stay come on so if we were to strip all of that 
consent, questionable consent, violating stuff and the persuasion and the manipulation from our interpersonal interactions. A lot of people say, wouldn't everything be boring? I mean, would it? I don't think so. I mean, I granted, I'm very comfortable being awkward. And I initiated sex with my current partner by saying, hey, would you be interested in having penis and vagina intercourse? <laughs> so, like, um, you, ro- you romantic. It worked, by the way. I tote Scott Laid. So, I mean, That's awesome. whatever people say, like, it, I don't, I, that was totally effective for me. Right. But, um, you know, I, I don't. I don't see that as being not playful or, I mean, if anything, it was so silly. Like every time I tell the story, people laugh and I'm like, well, exactly. And I don't see why you wouldn't want that in your relationship. Do you think uh, the key to it is us not being able to embrace our, I don't know, awkward, embrace our authenticity and just be kind of dorky, geeky, not perfect? Do you think that's how much of a part of it is that? I think part of it's that. I think part of it is prioritizing passion and lust over other types of interaction when you're attracted to someone. Um, Because like the way that the media portrays lust is it's this unspoken fire that rages between you. And you just know what the other person wants, Yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, you know, to be honest, I'm glad I'm not a telepath, like, uh, or I'm glad I can't read people's minds. So I'm I'm happier being awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do we teach other people to be happier being awkward? Um, I think modeling it, and I think like because when I tell that story, people sit and think about it. They're like, "Oh yeah, I guess that could work." And I think that it's showing that you can have an effective, fun relationship that is based in having awkward conversations, but being playful about it. You know, I mean, similarly, it's not, it's not even just about sex. Like when I was on my first date with this partner, I was asking him, okay, how do you argue? Like when we have a fight, what's your arguing style so that we could negotiate what our argument would look like before it even happened. This argument still hasn't happened. It's been two years. That is so we're smart. We're ready for it. <laughs> we know exactly what it's going to look like. We know that he's going to want to seethe by himself. And I'm going to want to go outside, smoke a cigarette and rant at one of my friends. And then in a day or two, we can reconnect and have a conversation. So now that we know that, we're not going to be like pushing each other to continue having a fight or, you know, feeling like, oh, you're ignoring me. We've got that out of the way. We already know what our processes are. Yeah. Now, okay, so I I don't know, maybe I'm in a very Eeyore mood right now where I'm like, nothing's ever going to be good. But I think when I hear you say that, I'm like, that's awesome. You are so self-aware to be able to do that. And and then I start thinking, but the rest of our country, the rest of our world isn't self-aware enough to be able to communicate like that. Do you think we're ever going to be able to get to a point where at least the majority or a good portion of people can communicate on that level? Honestly, I think that the younger generations, like our generation and younger, are mastering these skills. And and actually, and this is actually a funny segue into Juggalos, but my experience hanging out with Juggalos, fans of the Insane Clown Posse, has been that even though on the outside they look like a group of toxic masculine white working class dudes 
they talk about their feelings a lot. They have a lot of feelings and they talk about them constantly. And I love that. And I think that we need to start looking at these groups of people where they are talking about feelings other than anger and encourage that and foster that rather than like, I think we need to see the positive, I guess, and encourage that rather than, um, you know, just being desperately sad at (laughs) toxic masculinity everywhere else. It's interesting. I grew up in Michigan and I had traveled around the world. Then I worked in after in and out of the military, in and out of college. I ended up working at a couple of either heavy metal or punk rock bars, either in Detroit or Grand Rapids. And I was fortunate enough not only to be hand fed and tamed on Fago, but uh, (laughs) both Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope used to hang out at the bars that I would bounce at. So I got to talk with them just like candidly and they actually are very in touch with their feminine sides and that and it kind of surprises me because at that point and this was in the late 90s you know they had that very gangster persona on the outside but when they were out of the makeup and they were in a bar just having a beer talking to other people they they were much much more real and in in almost on an ephemeral level if and I hate to put any kind of concent- and, I, and I hate to put any concentration on cis hetero men but if you had if you knew that there was at least one cis hetero guy that was listening to this podcast and you could give them some advice to sort of learn how to restructure their lives and behave in a way that would be conducive for everybody, what would you what would you tell that person? Uh, listen more than you talk. <laughs> that's excellent. I think I think that's probably the best advice. I mean, and that's actually really good advice for everyone. <laughs> um, Uh, But I think that that's really important. And I think that the men in my life that I can still tolerate have been people who listen more than they talk and when and and active listening. So they make sure to ask follow up questions. And the sort of additional bit to that for me is don't assume what care someone needs. Ask them. And the story I would tell for that is that I have a partner who is a regular at this dive bar I go to. And occasionally there's some, someone who will come in the bar and like be kind of provocative or try to sexually harass me or something. And I really like that I can look at him and he'll give me a thumbs up or thumbs down, but he doesn't come in and intervene unless I give him a thumbs down. So he doesn't try That's to like, speak over me or do it for me, but not I the, have that. I'm the man. I'm going to come save you now. Like, yeah. And I think that that's also an important part of respect and consent is like, I think that, um, it's important to let women in particular fight their own battles sometimes if they feel comfortable doing so, because we need to push back and not seem like we're only powerful if we have men around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I okay. I'm still on Juggalos. My brain's still on Juggalos, and because <laughs> my brain's like Juggalos. And I gotta say, you know, yes, I'm a pretty open-minded person. However, I'm not perfect, right? So years back, when they were making fun of Juggalos on like Saturday Night Live, and you know, all the, <laughs> I, of course, I was like, who are these people? They're just a bunch of you know kids that don't know living in tents, going to you know, and so now as like. I started seeing jugglos in the news who are like, 
you know, protesting the Nazis and doing all these great things. And my brain's like, Juggalos, what? What? And then I start learning more and I'm like, wait, they're actually really cool. And they, what? What? So did your brain go through a similar thing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I used to work, <laughs> I used to work at Hot Topic. And I worked at Hot Topic, and we laughed at Juggalos, okay? We worked at Hot Topic. So, like, yeah, it was definitely, uh, I grew up in a, oh, God, Juggalos, what? But now I realize that a lot of that, I grew up in a, in a you know, upwardly mobile, white, suburban environment. So, of course, they were going to dread uh, the working class uh, white folks, especially if they listened to urban music. You know, like, of course, that was a thing because it's all white anxiety. Right, Um, right. So now that I've started to think of it that way, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Huh. Okay. And I think it's important for people to realize that, like, a large number of the homeless population um, within a certain age range are jugglos. And a huge reason for that, I think, is because it is one of the only subcultures I've seen that celebrates being poor. Like, it's not a culture where they're like, oh, one day I'm going to have lots of cars and lots of money. They're like, yeah, one day I'm going to have lots of money and I'm just going to buy more Fago and give it away. <laughs> you know, like, <Right. laughs> so like, there's not a sense of like retaining wealth. Um, and in fact, ICP has multiple songs. It's like, well, if you get a lot of money or a lot of resources, give it away because it's not like you could take it with you. And I just find that really interesting. It's a, it's a very mutual aid community. So what did it for you? What, what, why the change? Cause now you're really heavily entrenched in juggalo culture. You are, do you consider yourself a juggalo? Like, are you? Is, I, I do now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How did it happen? I mean, partially it's cause I'm dating a juggalo and I think that a lot of, I've noticed a lot of women tend to get into juggalo culture through dating someone. Uh-huh. Um, and it's sort of osmosis, like, <laughs> but, um, I feel like for me, what did it was going to gathering of the juggalos last year. Uh, and it apparently wasn't very lively because there was a lot of police suppression going on, but, um, I just love the community. Like the people were so cool. I didn't, especially at the beginning, I didn't really care for the music that much, but the family aspect was so solid. The fact that I felt comfortable as a fat femme walking around in a bikini and I wasn't afraid for myself. I wasn't worried that someone was going to harass me or attack me or whatever was incredible. And like, I didn't feel bad about being fat. I didn't feel bad about being queer. I actually had lots of jugglers, male jugglers coming up to me and we were we'd talk about queer stuff and they would be like, actually, I'm bisexual. And like, I've never really known anyone I could talk to about that. So that's really cool. <laughs> and I think that like, it's a lot more, I don't know, it's a, it's a lot more leftist than I think people realize, even though jugglers themselves would say that they're apolitical. Um, I don't think that they are. I think that the way that that manifests is different, depending on where you're from. Um, and who you hang out with, and even what bands within the Juggalo lexicon you listen to. In general, I think a lot of their goals and interests would veer towards the left. 
Now, I, I was always like knowing a lot of juggalos growing up. I in being more involved with protesting in queer culture and stuff as as I get older and older and older. I made the terrible assumption that juggalos would treat trans people poorly. What like what is the actual reception of trans people versus you know someone on the outside's perception of it? Um, there are some juggalos who don't really understand transness very much so i've definitely had to do some like bridging to try to help explain and sometimes they just don't get it i and i think you know part of it is that a lot of the conversations we have about queer the queer discourse if you will and the trans discourse is really academic and talking to a bunch of people who are not academics they're not going to get it. It's all above their head. So it's like breaking it down to things that they do get. Mm -hmm. That said, all of the issues I've seen have been online. In person, I've seen tons of trans jugglers hanging out, having a great time, and people are super nice. So they might be edgelords online, but in person, they're lovely and really supportive. And actually... um, uh, Ouija Mac, who just got signed to Psychopathic, I was really surprised and delighted to see him actively posting trans women's fundraisers for their surgeries and like fundraisers for Trans Lifeline on his like official Twitter. Oh, that's mm. awesome. I think that's really fucking cool, you know? And it's like, I think that we're starting to see more of that coming from within Juggalo culture. So the most important question, what is your favorite flavor of Fago? And if you say anything but red pop, you're a monster. <laughs> I'm a monster. I actually hate <laughs> red pop. I hate it. Uh, <laughs> I would say of the of the classic flavors, uh, rock and rye. Oh, rock and rye is awesome. I take um, that back. You're not a monster. <laughs> but California has a couple of their own flavors, as far as I can tell. Uh, we have cotton candy and candy apple, and candy apple is my favorite on this coast. Ooh. I didn't know they had regional flavors. I thought yeah. it was only out of Detroit. I well, we have a bottling plant in Hayward ah, now, so okay. So we don't get we don't get rock and rye, we don't get red pop over here. We get pineapple and like peach watermelon, some weird Jolly Rancher thing. <laughs> um, but we do get cotton candy, which is like bright, bright blue, and candy apple. And I like the candy apple because it's got sweetness and tartness. Wow. Yeah, I, I know nothing about Fago. So I'm just. <laughs> you grew up in <laughs> Illinois, though, so that, that wouldn't be a thing for yeah, you. Yeah, my eyes are. Gl- I'm like, yeah, sounds good. Cotton candy. Yeah. <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> rock and rye is amazing. I wish they made a diet rock and rye so you could try it. Oh. It's incredible. Wow. I drink a little sugar pop just for you. Awesome. Oh. <laughs> So, all right. I, I found something interesting when we were talking, how you were saying that a lot of these conversations that we're having are more academic and that they have to be um, translated in a way like, you know, you're almost acting like the liaison between the more academic thoughts and theories and conversations and translating it to just the everyday person, which I see just in sex ed in general, I see that not happening as much as it should yes so when it and now we're taking you know i want to take it back to consent you know we know on and i think most of us know 
on a more um, cerebral level. Yes, consent, good. Ask consent. We get that. But what we don't get is how we integrate that in our everyday lives. And we're kind of getting it when it comes to the sex conversation, because we, you know, it's talked about so much in media and whatnot. But some of the things that I find fascinating is I am the parent of now a teenager and a 20, almost 23 year old. Mm -hmm. And it really hit me the other day. And, And we also see conversations about like, you know, foster consent in your kids don't make them hug, you know, Aunt Bertha if they don't want to. Like, that's a very kind of black and white situation. I think most of us are starting to get that. But when it comes to integrating consent just in our everyday lives, like for me as a parent of a teen and all of those not black and white situations, how how would you recommend the everyday person start putting a microscope to their life and really examining how heavily consent is weaved into everything? Like, I don't even know where to start with that. Um. Well, actually, I mean, you know, not to toot my own horn, but the book is really good at doing that. <laughs> um, and I think it's good at doing that because I didn't tell anybody what to write. I right. just said, you know, you tell me what you want to write. I'll figure out where it fits. Um, I'll make categories so that these all fit. But, you know, it speaks to people's individual experiences and interests. Right. And, you know, and some of those interests end up becoming really interesting and provocative. Like, there's a piece in there about wrestling and consent to harm. Um, right. Can you consent to harm, especially if you're getting paid to be harmed? And I just find that really interesting. Like, that's not really a thing we talk about. There's that. There's, like, um, there's a piece in there about um, being black and uh, birthing in a red state. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tequila Um, Rivera wrote that one, right? Yeah. 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 And it's incredible. (laughs) So what what does consent look like? Because I know, like, your book's divided, like, in the medical community, in the workplace, in different places where we don't normally think of consent. So, like, give me an example of, of consent in the workplace, like you, you talked about pay, don't they pay me like my boss pays me why I'm my boss. But you know, back in the old days, my boss paid me to do the work. And there were times where it compromised my morals. Like I actually worked for a tobacco company that a lot of the employees were like, I don't know if I want to promote this. So what does consent in the workplace look like? Or what should it look like? Well, I think that agency is really important. And making sure that there are forums for people to voice complaints and criticisms that are anonymous or not. Right. So that they have the option is really important. Obviously, I think it should be a workplace free of like sexual harassment and uh, racism. There are areas that I feel I feel I'm not entirely sure where I fall yet. Yeah. Because like. A great example is, should you be held accountable for the things that you say on social media? Because, for example, people get, uh, you know, I, I think it's a violation of privacy mm-hmm. for companies to be looking at their employees' social media yeah, um, or requesting that social media. Some companies even expect you to give them your logins. Really? In order to apply for the job. Oh, and I'm, I'm glad like, I got out of corporate not. America when I did. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. On the other hand, a lot of neo-Nazis have been getting fired for things that they post about on social media. But then we say that's so, good. 
Yeah. So it's like one of those things where it's like, well, I've got to find a place that's comfortable in the middle, I guess, because I don't necessarily think you should be held accountable for what you say on social media. On the other hand, sometimes I don't mind it because it's hurting people I don't like. So. Right. And fuck Nazis. Exactly. Right. And fuck exactly. Nazis. So, uh, you know, but equally, someone could say fuck queer people. Right. Yeah, so, this is where it gets like, oh, holy shit. I, I don't know. Queer people didn't go have a genocide. So. I know that. And I know <laughs> that. And no. you know that. And we know that. But does everyone However, else agree with yeah. that? No, no, That's no. I get problem. where you're coming from. I'm just like, I can't believe anybody would equate queer people to Nazis. Like, the two things don't mesh. I mean, they equate queer people to uh, people do bestiality. So I yeah, mean, and like child molesters. <laughs> don't be and, so surprised. You know, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I th- on that point, though, I think back to like, if I had the internet when I was growing up, not that I was ever a Nazi or anything horrible, but I just said some stupid shit. You know what I mean? You're young. You're, you, you say stupid shit. I can't even imagine if someone was putting my social media under a microscope from the time I'm in my teens to now. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is an area that social justice gets into a little too uh, excitedly. <laughs> um, I'm all for holding people accountable. On the other hand, I care more about uh, consistent behaviors than I do about a badly informed tweet nine years ago. Right. I don't yeah. care that much. I, I just I, I can't care about everything. And that's one thing that is not a hill I'm going to die on. So right. meh. If they continue to say the same horrible thing over and over again now, then they didn't learn anything. And that's something that's concerning. But like, yeah, I mean, especially when you're a teenager, teenagers love being edgelords. They love saying the thing that's going to provoke a response. So, you know, a lot of teenagers say lots of things. And that that happens every goddamn day in my house. (laughs) Right. Totally. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and I think that... There's got to be, I mean, and I feel this way in general, there's got to be a balance between holding people accountable and being reasonable about that accountability. Like, I don't think that accountability is something that should be an instrument we bludgeon people with forever. I think we have to give people space to grow and change or else, like, what are we going to do? Shoot them? Like, if you say something ridiculous on Twitter, do we just shoot you now? Because you can never come back from it, so you might as well. Like, that's absurd. But that's how I feel. Like, I mean, I see this happening, especially in um, trans community, where you get accused of of something, um, like sexual assault, and um, that's it. Like, you are shunned if you, like, people who talk to you are shunned, you know, you're isolated, and it's just like, I don't, I don't understand what that's looking to accomplish. I, you know, I've, I've seen people get fired, like people have harassed their places of business until they get fired. And it's like, okay, so even if this person did uh, sexually assault someone, are you, do you want them to be homeless? Like, do you want them to commit suicide? I don't understand what the end goal is. <laughs> like, right. do you want them to not do it again? Because that seems like something we could actually work with. And for me, that's a huge part of consent culture is allowing people to grow, allowing people to learn from their mistakes and not having admitting that you fucked up be your destruction. I I just I don't see that as being effective. It's never worked. 
And and as a 50-year-old cis white hetero man, I thank you for that because for me, it's not even a matter if, it's a matter of when I fucked up. So at some point in my past, I'm sure as a 50-year-old man, even like 30 years ago, I didn't know any better and I said something that would be completely awful today. And if I were to have committed a murder, I would do 20 years and I would get out of jail. If I said something inappropriate in social media, that stays with me like a stone around my neck for the rest of my life. And I never get the chance to resolve the issue that I had, especially when I didn't know any better to begin with. I mean, to be to be fair, I think it it is reasonable to point out that if you did 20 years, you'd still be labeled a felon. Oh, for sure. Be a rock on your neck for a while. As, as we saw with the, the woman who got arrested, like put back in jail, put back in prison for voting because she was a felon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And so, that just happened. Yeah. So, I mean, but but another example is like there is an opportunity for us to say, OK, well, we want people to do their time and then rejoin society. Let's a treat people who go to prison better so that they can rejoin society. And B, we should be extending that same idea to our own comrades. You know, I mean, I'm against the prison industrial complex anyway, but if that's the model we're working with, then I think we have to give people the opportunity to serve their time and then come back. Right. Or there's no incentive. I think, like, well, can you say, like, you know, oh, as a 50-year-old cis white dude, but, like, also... No one can say that they have never violated someone's. Consent. Oh yeah, everybody. Oh, who you are. I, yeah. yeah, right. Like I agree so, a million percent, and that's and, and that's I, my worry that I know that I've done this, and maybe I can't think. You know, I'm also getting old, and I can't remember some of the consent violations that I've done. I, I mean, right. it's terrible to say, but I think it's also realistic. I've seen this with the with sex educators, where it's like, oh, like, well, you know, we've got to out this stuff, and I'm sitting here like I've heard reports on so many people doing consent culture work for for six years eight years something like that i don't think you want to open that mason jar like yeah because there's angry bees in there lots of them (laughs) trust me not a one of you is going to emerge from this unscathed so like i think maybe we need to stop being so excited to like tear down the oppressors and realize we're all the oppressors so where do we go from there Exactly. Yes. Yes. Oh, and just I, I, I had one last question for you on sort of an uplifting note. Um, before the interview began, we talked a little bit about you in gaming and juggalos. Can you comment about that a little bit? Yes. So I'm going to the Dark Carnival Games Convention, which is in Denver, Colorado. It's next month. And I'm running a couple of fiasco games, fiasco being my favorite storytelling game. Uh, awesome for a game, bunch of juggalos. And I'm super excited. I'm excited to get to run games there. I'm excited to be, I'm covering it for Vice, which is great. Uh, I'm kind of getting a reputation in Juggalo community as being like the cool reporter who (laughs) actually doesn't make Juggalos look terrible. Um, So that's nice. Nice. I, I when you, when you said you were gaming, like my icy cold heart, that's like Juggalo. It's kind of melted a little bit more. It's like oh, tabletop ju- gaming. Sonny, are what? you a Juggalo Grinch? <laughs> I used to be. I'm not. I'm not. I'm becoming un. I'm un Juggalo Grinching myself. Does that myself mean that you can listen to the Great Malenko with me? Do you even know what that is? <gasps> okay, she doesn't. Know. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. I did, I did buy an insane clown posse cassette tape in the early 2000s when they first it, became it a might thing. have been that one okay uh, you know i gotta i gotta say i think that you should start with shangri-la the wraith um, okay i think that that's that was my entry point where i was like oh i actually like this it's the most uplifting and therefore i think it's a better entry point than uh the great malenko which has things like the Nedden game that you're gonna be a little uh, what no i'm not into this Okay, so. cool. So I, now we have we have Amazon Music, so we can just tell Alexa to play whatever. So I'm going to do that actually. So <laughs> yeah. you, this maybe you piece. may have just changed my life. You know, we don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, this has been a great conversation, Kitty. Thank you so much. Thank you and, so much, Kitty. And yeah, you know, you for, for the me. for the listeners, I mean, even I'm a little like, oh, where are we going with consent? And you know, just not being all of us not being assholes because we're all assholes in some respect some of us way more than others but i think a good place to start like you said is reading your books so tell us about your book tell us where they can find it where they can find you and all that great stuff so the book is called ask building consent culture and it's available on amazon it's available i think good vibes carries it now i think pm press actually just started distributing it uh, it's all over the internet. It's pretty easy to find. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. Kitty Striker. I'm at Kitty Striker on Twitter. Kitty Striker on Facebook. Kitty Striker on my website. <laughs> like, if you just Google Kitty Striker, just do it when you can potentially see porn because I did have a porn career and you might see some of that. <laughs> Awesome. And for listeners going, oh, I got to write all this down. Don't worry. As always, all of those links and all of that information will be in our show notes at both americansexpodcast.com and sunnymegatron.com. And Kitty, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag SciChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.